1: Welcome to this week's episode. We're here in the Flowline studio at the AES Houston office where the heat is on and the splash pads are busy. Matt, have you had a chance to get to the splash pads yet this summer?
2: I haven't. There's one at a park near my house, Herman Park, and I'm kind of excited to check it out, especially as it gets hotter and hotter in Houston this summer.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I'm sure as the kiddo gets older, that's going to be a hot spot for you guys. I know it is in our family. Our daughter's almost four and we've hit up the splash pad ever since it's opened. which was last week. I think we've been twice already, and it's going to be happening every weekend as we move forward into the summer. So uh, it's a great time, especially out in the burbs. There's about a thousand of them here in Katy. So uh, it's a good time for sure. It's nice to cool off.
2: Absolutely. And probably help get those kids to get to bed at night.
1: Yeah, it wears them out. So uh, we had an episode not too long ago talking about different components at the drilling rig, and uh, we had to kind of chuckle when we talked about the term possum belly, which you know, is that box at the end of your shakers or at the start of the shakers. And thanks to Mike Williams, who's one of our hardworking mud engineers out in West Texas, he actually informed me that it's derived from the similarity of its appearance to the underbelly of the female possum. So apparently each of the chambers of the possum belly, a.k.a. the shaker box, resemble an elongated teat similar to the ones found on a female possum. So interesting information we found out.
2: Yeah, next time that possum in the park by my house goes by, I'm going to have to take a much closer look.
1: (laughs) And so you should. So uh, thanks to Mike and the power of LinkedIn for that added information. Uh, I I, want to take a quick break before we get into this. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and do us a huge favor to take a few minutes and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Any feedback is welcome and appreciated, good or bad. Uh, actually, this week's review comes from Otten Daddy, who says, This is a great way for someone to gain insight into one of the most important yet least known aspects of the drilling process. Appreciate that, Otten Daddy. I think I know who that is and uh, definitely appreciate the support. So, one of the most common topics we've talked about this year is electrical stability, which is known as ES in an invert emulsion system. So, Matt, let's talk about that. And, and the biggest question everyone wants to know is, what number do we need to have in an oil-based mud system?
2: Well, thankfully, it's going to take a whole episode to get to the bottom of that because it's a little complicated. And so we got to unpack a little bit of the history and our understanding of what we're looking for. And I think once, once we get there, I think, I think folks will understand kind of why some people focus on a really big number and why maybe that's not the way we need to do things.
1: Okay, so if I if if I remember correctly, this is uh, electrical stability is something that w- was brought about even before uh, drilling fluids. So let's let's kind of dive into the history of it. And what do you know about where it came from?
2: So, to the best of my understanding, and we've been asked enough about this that I've actually been digging through the patents of the first ES meter and um, all that kind of stuff. It, it appears to have come from uh, actually soil quality evaluation. Um, basically measuring moisture and conductivity. Um, and, and the guy who, who patented it in the 50s, his name is Crittenden, um, his idea was, okay, well, if, if oil-based mud is supposed to be oil continuous, maybe I can use a similar probe to measure whether or not the, I can sense the presence of water in my mud.
1: Makes sense. So what happens after that? We start drilling wells, and how, describe the first... Because n- now we have a different way of measuring it, but the original ES meter. Tell us a little bit about the technology that went into developing that.
2: Sure. Well, I mean, think '50s electronics, but um, the idea was that that um, we know that oil-based and synthetic, excuse me, we know that oil-based and synthetic-based mud are invert emulsions, which means I've got an oil continuous phase, and then I have this non-continuous phase of brine droplets that the formation shouldn't really be seeing for lack of a better description. Um, and so the fluid should be generally non-conductive. And when we want the idea being that if I try and ramp voltage across it, uh, what I should see is that it should take a lot of voltage before I see any current conveyed across a probe. Um, and so the, the old meter had an, an oscillator in it. Um, You would ramp up the voltage by turning a knob. Uh, You're supposed to turn it at a constant rate very carefully. And once you had that arcing where you saw a current of 61 microamps, which is sort of an arbitrary number, um, an LED would light up. And you'd look at what number you had on your knob, and that would be your ES reading. The big issue with that is that um, it was very dependent on the user because whoever, if you're in a hurry, doing a mud check, trying to get back out to the pits like a good mud engineer you may turn that knob too fast and ramp up the voltage too quickly and you'll actually get a higher reading than if you did it more slowly uh, similarly that oscillator used with a, a square wave um, and what would happen is it would have these big spikes up and down where you didn't necessarily get a very consistent reading and ultimately what people found and and it's kind of interesting even to talk to folks who worked rigs when these were out there they say All I wanted to do was peg that thing out. It it reads a maximum of 2,000 volts. I wanted to make sure I was maxing that thing out every time because I really had no idea if my fluid was stable or not.
1: And the idea there is the higher the number, the stronger your emulsion was uh, to where if you had any water in there, it would basically prevent your mud from flipping, right? You want a strong emulsion. It's going to be able to withstand anything that comes at it, the higher the number it is.
2: Right. And, and bear in mind, we're talking about a time when a lot of emulsifier technology is fairly new. Uh, the solubility may not be great in the base oil when we're talking about synthetics and mineral oils that were being introduced. Um, and so you wanted all this insurance because you were having trouble reading the value in the first place. And anybody who's seen mud flip, I mean, we know the horror stories like you take a water flow. The, that emulsifier just keeps grabbing at that water because it wants to put it in the internal phase. And when it gets overwhelmed, the whole fluid just turns to peanut butter. And so this very expensive fluid has to be totally replaced. And it's a very uncomfortable situation when you're talking to a customer about their costs. And um, it's just kind of a miserable situation for everybody to clean everything up. And uh, so think about electrical stability testing with that mindset of, I want to avoid this horror story. And I want to make sure this measurement, which doesn't seem very consistent, is as high as possible so that if I'm ever kind of low, I treat up and I'm never in that risky range.
1: Of course. And so since then, that's been a number of years ago, they've since then developed a new way of testing for ES. So would you mind describing sort of the new technology with the probe and the box and how we go about testing it nowadays?
2: Sure. So... It's actually kind of interesting because the, the, the probe more or less looks the same, but everything else is different. Uh, so instead of that knob to ramp up the voltage, it automatically does it. So, you know, you push the button, you hold it down, and the, a digital readout increases, 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 and then stops at your number. Um, the oscillator is at, uses a sinusoidal wave, which is a much smoother ramp up, um, and providing much more consistent numbers. Uh, and there are chips that you can, that come with your meter that you can actually calibrate and make sure everything is, is reading the way it's supposed to. Um, so the error is significantly less. Um, and I've read API recommended even back then that your numbers were within 5% of one another. You do two readings and take the average. Mm -hmm. And most people said that was an impossible ask with the old meter. It just wasn't even an option.
1: Wow, interesting. So, that being said, uh, and actually, I I had a question just off the top of my head. I remember being at a rig, and and if you, depending on how hot the mud was, or if you were shaking that probe around a little bit, or versus having it in static conditions, that number changed pretty drastically. So, would you mind describing kind of what's going on there? Because I'm sure people on the rig have seen that and they're probably wondering, well, why does that number fluctuate like that?
2: Well, electrical stability is temperature dependent. uh, So, uh, the API guidelines require a, a standard consistent temperature to get a reading. And I know, you know, when we're working in the lab or doing a bunch of iterative testing and are just looking at some relative trends, we may not actually heat the mud up just because we'll just do it at room temperature. But for an API mud report, it's definitely important. And if you're not doing it, you need to note it. Right. Um, but, but that would be one thing is that consistent temperature when you do your check. The other thing is when you mentioned about stirring, there's kind of that temptation because you want to make sure you got good contact across the probe. But if you're agitating that, you're actually circulating mud around those probes. And how, that, how those probes, how you get that arc, for lack of a better description, is actually solids and, and emulsor, emulsion droplets bridging across the, the two electrodes on the probe. So I think stirring is just agitating that and requiring more energy to, to um, short that circuit for lack of a better description.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's talk a little bit about the factors behind, you know, what drives that, that ES number. Um, you know, there's different properties, uh, you know, because oil-based muds come out, different oil-water ratios, uh, different salinities, different mud weights. So what actually, what, what is the ES, uh, what factors contribute to, to having these different numbers?
2: Well, the oil-water ratio is a really good one, just because the more oil I have, Bear in mind, oil water ratio is typically just the presence of the liquids there, right? Um, so you have solids in there, and normally heavy muds have higher oil content because I'm trying to disperse solids. So I end up with this situation where I actually have very little water present in the first place. So a very high oil-content mud is probably going to have a much higher ES reading. Um, and so this is one of those situations uh you know, we'll get in, into what we look for, but when somebody is focused on an absolute number and we can't convince them that maybe that's not necessary, increasing the oil content is one way to actually increase the reading, even if it might not have any technical value. Right. Um, you know, the emulsifier, actually different emulsifier chemistry can do different things. Um, if you have insufficient emulsifier and you do have a weak emulsion, you will have a low number. Um, but as far as getting a higher number, that sort of peaks out at some point. Um, weighting agents. So some weighting agents are more conductive than others. Mm. So you can actually add, for example, hematite will, will lower your electrical stability. Bayrite will increase it.
1: Oh, wow. I, I um, never knew that.
2: That's yeah, good. so uh, just kind of wonky things like that that uh, show that this number can be a bit more arbitrary than just I have a stable emulsion. Right, Um, And of course, shear history. So when you make fresh mud out of the plant, it's going to have a lower number than when you get it through a bit. And most of that is going to be driven by the idea that very good shear that you get at a rig site uh, will actually stabilize those droplets and tighten them and better disperse them. So we typically see, you know, we send out the mud and it might have, these are just numbers I'm making up, 300 volt electrical stability, the mud's fine. We send it out. And what we see is we're drilling, and we see the number gradually increase and then kind of plateau at, let's say, 500 volts. And it's just it's getting that shear, products are yielding, uh, and so now we have this, this number that sort of stabilizes.
1: That makes sense. So you're drilling along, and your ES you know, drops off a little bit. Let's say you get a little water in there. It doesn't affect your old water ratio too much. What's the most common product that you can use to increase your yes? And how does, how does that
2: work? Well, I think in that case, we're looking at, we're looking at properties, right? We're, we're following trends. Um, and we'll, we can dig into that a little bit here in a second. I think normally in that example, I know I took some water. Okay, well, let's add some more emulsifier. Let's tighten up the emulsion because I got some more water in there. Um, there are other things, for example, let's say I added a bunch of bayrite and I'm, I'm falling behind on my wetting agent, so it's not as oil wet. I may see because there's more wa- water wet material introduced, I may need to add more wetting agent, and that can help bring the electrical stability up.
1: Right. So it's important to look at the whole forest and not necessarily just one tree, it sounds like.
2: Absolutely. I mean, and, and that's where you'd mentioned it earlier, look, seeing water in the filtrate. Uh, so typically these things don't happen on their own. Uh, when An emulsion is being challenged as far as stability, it tends to get thick. So that means my plastic viscosity in my rheology is going to go up. Um, I might see water in the filtrate or my fluid loss will increase because my emulsion isn't as stable. And guess what? My fluid will be more conductive, and so I'll likely see a higher electrical stability than what I've been seeing before.
1: That makes sense. So, what with regards to trends, um, can you touch on or can you add a little bit more as to what you know people in the field uh, can look for with regards to numbers? And are we at a point now where we can actually pick a number to go with?
2: So, I don't like to pick a number explicitly, but experience can tell us things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So, we talked about viscosity a while ago and why we don't like funnel vis from a technical perspective, but. If you're only on a pad and you're in in the same place, your funnel list is probably going to be pretty consistent. Well, if you're drilling with a mud under similar conditions in a similar formation, you're not changing out any chemistry, you could probably have an idea of what number you should expect. But what the API says is that you shall follow trends and not rely on a single value. Um, And shall is a big deal coming from the API because that's sort of like contract language. It's not should or it's a good idea. They're saying this is how you run mud is you follow trends on the electrical stability. And if you see a big variance deviation, look at your other mud properties and try and find out what's happening um, to get back to where you've been trending. Um, But a lot of that is we will know a a decent number to go by based upon what where we're drilling and what we're doing. If it's fairly consistent, we just typically don't say, well, the mud's going to fall apart if it's below 500 volts. Right. If I've been drilling at 450 for five years with no problem, 450 is my good number to trend by.
1: That makes sense. In just talking about numbers, I was actually doing a little research myself, reading back in an old Amoco drilling fluids manual, and it said that the new sine wave ES meters, which is the ones we use now, will actually generate about half of the value of the previous meters. Have you heard that? Is that true?
2: Yes. And and in fact, if you read API guideline 13b2, which... I don't think anybody has that much time on their hands, but I've found myself in the situation recently. <laughs> yeah. It says the exact same thing.
1: Okay, interesting.
2: Um, so it's—I it, think it's a pretty well recognized one. We we found an old ES meter with the knob, and we want to see if we can get it fixed and try this um, just to see what the readings look like.
1: Yeah, it'd be a good exercise for the for sure. So Matt, what kind of conversations are we having uh, you know between aES and, and customers and folks around the industry with regards to you know chasing the number i mean is this is this a common topic of conversation
2: it can be and and you know what what's frustrating is it's th- this is a this took a lot of research for me to figure out like the reason I know this is not because I enjoy it yeah. it's because I need to answer customers' questions and so I had to go back to find this patent and read it. And I had to go back and find There's a couple of other good papers. And even though, you know, I'm looking at one that was published in 1994, you don't hear much talk about it. Um, and so I, but what we see is we see customers where they come in and say, look, I'm really concerned. I need a number above X. And we, we need to have this conversation and explain it because otherwise we end up doing these expensive gimmicky things where we say, look, um, I can increase your oil content, I can add more emulsifier than you need, and hopefully we can bring that number up, but this isn't getting you anywhere technically. You're not going to drill faster, you're not going to perform better, this is because you're looking at one number on a mud report. And we've actually recently had this with a company, I assume it was their old logging manual and they just keep passing it forward, but it said you need to have 600 volts to, uh, for their logs. Huh. And there, there's absolutely no explanation. I mean, maybe it's perhaps some level of conductivity they're looking for. Uh, I don't know, but it's just this arbitrary number. And that costs a lot of money. right? Right. Um, And yes, we have this history where it it was well worth it to focus on this number. But now that we have some greater precision, um, I, I think we need to have the conversation of, are you actually getting a technical benefit? Or are we just kind of trying to, you know, address some lingering fears that aren't really part of what we do today?
1: No, that makes a lot of sense. And and hopefully we've been able to uh, educate the the listeners out there with the whole ES, uh, you know, just the reading itself and where it comes from. uh, Because I think a lot of people... Yeah, including myself, starting off as a mud engineer, just really focusing on that number and higher is better. And now that we have an understanding of what else to look for, uh, different trends and such is extremely important. So, but I mean, again, if you have any questions or any comments or thoughts, uh, something that you think we uh, should touch on as well, please send them to Flowline Podcast at aesfluids.com. We'll make sure we put that link in the show notes. And Matt, is there anything else you'd like the listeners to know about before we close out?
2: No, this was an interesting conversation, and I hope more people hear it because, uh, I, I don't know, it's, it seems that people know about this, but getting the word out there to more people, I think, would make every mud engineer's life a little easier.
1: Absolutely. Well, I'm sure this conversation will uh, be continued, but until then, enjoy.
2: Take care.
0: Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.